John 14, 19. So yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, how'd you like to be that name? You know, but anyway, this is most likely Thaddeus that we believe when we look at the other list, but he had two of those here. Said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, this is the answer Jesus gives, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So I've titled the talk today, The Blessing of God, very generic, but very deep. This is a, a deeply Trinitarian text. The context still is the coming of the Spirit and what the Spirit will do. And yet we will see Jesus speak much of Himself and Jesus will also speak of the Father. And so while very Trinitarian, much of this is connected to the context and what will come in the future in a little over a month when the Spirit comes at Pentecost. John 14, 15 through 26 details much of the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so while there's a lot of reference to Jesus and the Father today, the context is still that Jesus is going away and the Spirit coming. The Spirit does not come, by the way, without the cross, without the resurrection, without Jesus' ascension and His exaltation when He sits down and Him asking the Father to send the Spirit. And so all of those things are tied together it's hard to separate any of those things they are tied together in regard to our great doctrine that we affirm in the reality of who Christ is the father is and the spirit none of us can separate the significance that the father son and the spirit have in our lives how they uniquely together work in the same direction for the same unified purpose and we are to know each of them And we are to give each of them the glory that is due them as God. So again, this is a very key Trinitarian text where uh, the emphasis is on the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. And yet there is inferences in regard to the resurrection as well as many other things. Let's look at the first thing this morning, the first part of verse 19. Jesus says something very profound here. Yet a little while... Again, remind you, he's speaking to the eleven in the upper room. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those moments where there's an event that's coming? Maybe you've bought a ticket, or, man, you've been planning on this, and you're ready to go, and, or you've just got scheduling conflicts, but somebody's coming to town, or there's some event that's coming, and you've always wanted to be there, experience it, but... It passes by and you miss it. We probably can all relate to that. We have had some of those moments. 
The world is about to miss something absolutely incredible that is not going to happen again until Christ returns. The most amazing thing has been happening over the last three years in the nation of Israel. Christ had come and had been born about 30 years earlier, but then it was time for Him to start His ministry. And so He starts His ministry, and for over three years, He is going all over the nation doing incredible things, teaching the words of the Father. He is casting out demons. He is raising the dead. He is healing the sick. The blind are seeing. Those who couldn't walk are walking. Those who couldn't talk are talking. Those who couldn't hear are hearing. And all over the nation for three years, Jesus has been doing this. And the world, according to Christ here, is about to have their last moment and their last opportunity to see God in the flesh in their midst. He had been among them for three years. And so Jesus says, yet a little while and the world is not going to see me anymore. Now on that Friday afternoon outside of Jerusalem at Calvary, they will walk by and they will see the most significant thing. God who had come to bear sin in our body is on a cross, dying as our substitute. And there he is, and they spend the afternoon doing what? Worshiping him or mocking him? They mock him. And they don't worship. There's not a lot of falling down. As a matter of fact, that day we know that Jesus' mother Mary is there, John is there, and some others. And outside of them and the Roman centurion, there's not a lot of worship and recognition of, of really the significance of what is taking place. And so Jesus is communicating here to the eleven, in just a little while, I'm not going to be here anymore. And Israel had had three years of opportunity to see Christ, hear Christ, and behold the glory of who He is. And so in the, in the, hour, the sand in the hourglass is about out. He will be gone. And Jesus is saying here this, this truth. I have made myself known for three years. I have revealed who I am. And the world is not going to see me anymore. We, we know this from the gospel accounts. That when He rises from the dead, He doesn't go to the temple and teach. He reveals Himself to believers. He doesn't reveal Himself to anyone else on the resurrection. He reveals Himself to those who have been followers and those who believe. And so the world is not going to see Him anymore. And so, so He's communicating to the leaven. Something unique and significant is about to take place. I'm going to be gone. And where I'm going, He's told them already, you cannot come to where I am. And so God had been present in the midst of Israel for over three years and at the end of those three years, up close and personal, these opportunities that everyone had, they missed it. We know that 500 people, um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, saw Jesus after the resurrection. They will be the only people to see Jesus physically, the resurrected Jesus, glorified Jesus after his resurrection. They will be the only ones. The world will not see him. And so what Christ is communicating here is affirming the reality that the world is blind to what? Christ, who He is, His nature, His love for them. They're just blind to it. Earlier in the week, after He had come into town, Jesus spoke these words. He says, For I tell you, you will not see Me again until you say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. So the world still today cannot see Him, cannot sense Him until the Holy Spirit opens the eyes 
of those who come to faith. So guess what Satan's great aim is? To keep people from seeing the gospel. To keep people from seeing Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote about that. Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan's great aim is to keep people from seeing. Our great calling is to live in love with Christ, proclaim Christ, and and communicate who He is to the world, to get the message out. And the world still misses the blessing. All over the world today, people are missing the incredible blessing that God loves people and is calling them into relationship. Now, while you and I, if if you've come to faith and you were in the room this morning and you've come to faith, we're not in danger of missing salvation as many of the Jews or the majority of the Jews did. But maybe this morning we would miss out on the opportunities to know Him and to walk in obedience with Him. Moments that come in our lives, sometimes we, we, we have good things that are a part of our life and we miss out on what God wants for us and there's all kinds of things that can become distractions for us. And so Christ, sharing with the eleven, saying here, listen, the world is about to miss out and I have been here. And yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But then Jesus has good news for the eleven. Look what he says in the last part of verse 19. But you, the eleven, will see me, and because I live, you will also live. So there's two aspects of this, I believe two layers in regard to when he says, but you will see me, and because I live, you will live. One aspect is, is that they would see the resurrected Jesus, right? They would see him on Sunday night. He would appear in the room. They would see them he would speak with them, well, except for Thomas. Thomas was out doing something, and Thomas had to wait a little more days uh, for Jesus to show back again. But they would all see him again. So some of this, Jesus is communicating, listen, yet a little while, the world's not going to see me, but you are going to see me. So one layer of meaning of this is that they would see him again in the resurrection. It would be an incredibly overwhelming weekend for them that would turn into the most amazing reality is that the grave could not keep him tied down. He would rise from the dead, and He would appear to them. You see, the cross was not an ending. It was just a glorious new beginning. Where this new work that God was going to do through the life of Christ and His resurrection would begin to happen and take place. But then I think there's another meaning here that is really important, and it's probably the stronger meaning for them. It must have been really difficult for these guys, and they must have, through the years, had conversations with one another. They must have because I think they were deep-thinking men and they loved Christ. They must have thought about their life. They had a unique perspective. So let me just share that perspective that's different than our perspective. They got to live with Jesus for three years. They got to see the physical Jesus. So this was a day-in and day-out opportunity for them, and they got to learn about faith by seeing Jesus. And then he goes away, and they have to learn to live following Jesus like you and I have to learn to follow Jesus. We don't walk by sight. We walk by what? Faith. So they, they have to live on both sides of those realities. So they, they saw him, heard him, but now when he goes away, they are walking now for the rest of their days and the remainder of their time walking by faith. So how will they see him? 
in the future when he's gone. They will see him as you and I do by walking by faith and trusting in the words of Jesus. So again, they had, they had known what it was like to walk by sight, by being with him physically, but they would continue to see him down the road as you and I see Jesus at times at, by faith. We've all been there before. Christ has never shown up in my office physically. Bring it on if he wants to do that. But that's not the way it works. But I see him all the time. You see him all the time. How do we see him? We see him by faith as we walk in obedience. We see his manifested hand in regard to how he works in people's lives and how he transforms. We see the work of Jesus. So we see his glory. We see the greatness of who he is in faith with eyes of faith, trusting in regard to who he is. Now, I want to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians just for a moment, because I want us to look at a verse together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians 3. So they had to make an adjustment. Paul wrote about this adjustment that they needed to have, that it wasn't walking by physical sight, but walking by faith. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, you can go ahead and turn over there just for a second, but then we're going to go to chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. We looked through eyes of faith, is what Paul is saying here. Now go to chapter 3, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to read through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, look at this. So they would see the resurrected Christ. But then when Christ ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, they would now have to walk by faith as you and I do. And then Paul shares this incredible reality of what the Spirit does in our lives in regard to Christ. So before any of us came to faith, there was a veil over our eyes. And we couldn't see the Lord, and only the Spirit could remove that veil so that we could see who Christ is. And so the veil is removed at salvation. The Spirit reveals Christ and and ushers in salvation. And by faith, we believe in that moment Notice what Paul says here, that the Spirit is affirmed as Lord. Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Spirit is Lord. And so he says there, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And look at the third thing he says there. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, what results there? Bondage or freedom? Freedom. So where the Lord is at work and He's removed the veil and He has ushered in salvation and the Lord is the Spirit. And so when the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is 
freedom. And then look what he says in 18. And we all, with this unveiled face now, it's, this veil is gone, we behold the glory of the Lord. And as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the image of the one we are beholding. We are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let me just stop there for a moment. I was thinking back over my life yesterday, and I've been walking with the Lord since I was 17. A long time. I can't even count now. Don't do that math very well, but it's been a long time I've been walking with the Lord now. And I think back in those early days of what I was like and what I wrestled with, and, and I look back and I see that over these decades, I've beheld the Lord. And the Spirit's been at work as I read the Scripture, and I've been transformed, and I'm not who I used to be. I look differently, I think differently, and He has been at work. And where I used to not have freedom, even as a believer, as the Spirit has worked and brought transformation from one degree of glory to another, I find freedom in places, right, that we used to not have freedom in. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And because that freedom comes and the Lord is the Spirit and we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And look what he says there as he closes out. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this incredible, incredible work. So notice the blessing Christ is affirming here. That 11 got to see the resurrected Christ. We will see the resurrected Christ physically one day. He is, by the way, coming again, right? He's coming on a white horse. And on his thigh will say, faithful and true. And he's coming again and we will behold him. But now we behold him with eyes of faith. That what the scripture has to say about him is true. And our lives become this great testimony that as we behold him in the scripture, that the spirit is at work transforming us to think and live and talk and listen and to walk as Christ did. And all of this comes about really good news. Don't pardon me for my excitement about this. Because I live, you live. How awesome is that? that? That all we had to offer Him is sinful hearts, rebellious hearts, and now He has removed the veil. He has brought this freedom. He is transforming us from one degree of glory to another as we behold the glory of the Lord. The Spirit does this work, and it happens because God cannot die. God lives. Now the body of Jesus on the cross did what? It died. But you can't kill the nature of God. You cannot kill the essence of God. So Christ's body as He bore our sin on the cross died, but the nature and the essence of God did not die. And so the emphasis here from Christ is that He lives. His physical death is incredibly significant to our faith. But so is this reality. God lives. You cannot ultimately kill God. You cannot kill His nature or the essence of God. 
That's why Luke 20, 38 says, He is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Two ways that they would see. They would see through eyes of faith, and then they would continue to see Jesus through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus? He said these words in John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. So the Spirit births this new life. And because He lives, we will also live. And so our dependence on the life of Christ did not end when Christ ascended, but it would grow to a stronger place, a fresher place, when the Spirit came and indwelt believers. It would be an inside. Our faith is an inside kind of faith. And so Jesus says, because I live, you will live. And so I want to ask everybody in the room, including myself this morning, are we living? Are we living? Are we living because we have been made alive? This world, in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But I want you to take heart. I have overcome the world. So you trust in me. The Spirit gives life. Listen to these. Tell me if the majority of these are about living. Jesus dies. He rises. He ascends. He intercedes. He will return. He will reign on the earth. And He will be exalted for all of eternity. Those are life words. Those are words that are connected to life. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. John three thirty four. For He whom God has sent utters the words of God. For He gives the Spirit without measure. Here's another great one. John seven thirty eight, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John gives us this insight. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he has been telling them for a while that he was going to die. And now he is stating and he's affirming here that he lives and because he lives they will live and so he points to a great hope that is coming in the future he would live again and so they did not need to fear death it didn't need to be something that needed to be in the forefront of their focus they did not need to worry about death but because he lives what will we do we will live because he lives we will live paul wrote a lot of corinthians things here paul had some really great things on, on this subject to both first the letter in first corinthians and second corinthians listen to this in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 7 and 8 we are always he says of good courage so there's never not a time when that shouldn't be true of us as christ followers we should always be of good courage there should be something so overriding our circumstances and our difficulties So overriding that we have good courage in the midst of trouble. So he says, we are always of good courage. There should not be a time when this is not true. And here's what he says. We know, 
We've come to know this. This is a, this is a, a, a word knowledge. I know this to be true. He says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we know that we are away from the Lord. The Lord is seated in heaven. And then he says this, so here we walk by faith and not by sight. And then he says again in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. Listen how strong this courage is. That we would rather be away from the body and at home where Jesus is with the Lord. So whether we're here at home in our body or we are away from our body and we are at home with Him, we have one great aim that overrides everything. We make it our aim, Paul says, to please the Lord. I want to know Him and I want to walk with Him. So let me remind us of this blessing of those who believe. We get to walk by faith and see Christ in the Scriptures, see Christ at work in the world, and then also the Spirit unites us in relationship with God. And so we have this great courage. The fact that we are His helps us as we wait, whether we are at home here in this body or we are away from this body and we are at home with Him. We know we live for Him as our great aim. So I'll go ahead and put the third point up there, Chris. This is the longest point I've ever had in my life. And I couldn't whittle it down. What we're about to see in verse 20 is so, so awesome. This is the best I could do. So I want to talk just for a moment now about the blessing of the Spirit when the Spirit comes at salvation that confirms the unity of the Godhead in our salvation, in our sanctification, in our daily lives. And in that moment, we get a new position, we get a new place, we get a new identity because of the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Look at verse 20 not a real long sentence i think my point is longer than the sentence is in that day you will know that i am in my father and you and me and i and you so we have to define what day sunday after the cross i think that's part of it i think there's a bigger aspect of it and that's Pentecost, we do know on the day of the resurrection that Jesus met them in the upper room. And it says He opened their mind to the Scriptures. He showed them from the Old Testament all of these things about that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then Jesus tells them this in Luke twenty four forty eight. And he tells them, men, you are witnesses of these things. And then he tells them these words. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, he, so yes, on the day of the resurrection, he tells the eleven, he tells them, listen, you're... Look, you will see me again, and you're going to in that day. You're going to know that I am in the Father, and the Father um, is in me, and you are in me, and I, are, I am in you. 
So they would know it a bit on the day of the resurrection, but they would really, really know it on the day of Pentecost. So they're waiting in the upper room. And the promise of the Father comes. And they are empowered. And do they stay in the room or do they get out of the room pretty quickly? When the Holy Spirit comes on you like that day, you can't stay in the upper room. And it says that they immediately went down into the streets. And they began to proclaim the greatness of who Christ is, telling the gospel story. People from all over the world had come to Jerusalem and were still present. The Spirit supernaturally gave them ability to speak a foreign language that they didn't have the ability to do, and they're proclaiming the gospel. And all these people from these other lands are like, you guys are talking my language, and they're hearing the gospel being proclaimed in Acts chapter 2. Right there and then, a dramatic change took place. And so I believe that when Jesus says, in that day, you will know this to be true, is when the Spirit came at Pentecost. They knew something has happened on the inside of me that has never happened before, and it was the Spirit coming to indwell the believers. And so when Jesus says here, in that day, you will know, you will know that I'm in the Father. You'll know that all this stuff I've been talking about, me and the Father, you're going to know on that day that it is absolutely true. And watch this, not just about my position and relationship, Jesus is saying with the Father, but this is going to do something to you, my people. Here's what you're also going to realize in that day. You're going to realize that you are in me. You as my people who love me, you're going to be in me. And then I am also going to be in you. And so... The coming of the Spirit brought this reality of understanding to them, and it should be to us, that Christianity is an inside faith. It is inside work, God transforming us from the inside to the out, not the outside in. It is the Spirit at work that does this great thing, and they knew immediately. I was a sophomore in high school. It was in August. And I'd gotten moved up to the varsity to be the number two quarterback for the Midway Panthers. You might say this morning, how lucky for you to be a sophomore on the varsity. Well, not so lucky for me, because what that meant was this, is when you're sophomore and you get moved up, there are seniors that have been playing for a while, and they play, and you watch them play. So for the first time ever in my life, I was a bench warmer, and that first game, I just struggled. I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to do something. And so about middle part of the fourth quarter, outside of warm-ups being on the field, I had been on the sidelines the entire game. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, but you can go home today and turn on your television. They had this thing called field goals or extra points where you kick the ball through these yellow things. There's a line of guys that line up together. And at the end of this line, there's a guy that's off the ball. And at this line, there's a guy that's off the ball. So about midway through the fourth quarter, we had scored a touchdown. And the guy on this side hadn't gone out on the field. And the people are yelling, pointing, nobody's out here. And for three and a half quarters, I just couldn't take it. I just ran on the field, and I took that position. 
It wasn't my position to have, but I was there, and it was going to be mine in that moment. I'd never practiced this before, but I'd seen it many times in my life. So I took the position. It's the position where people come from this way to try to block the kick, and you've got you to watch for people cutting the gap. And, man, with these guns, who wanted to come through there, you know? And, and so I got ready, though. I wanted to be in the game. I didn't want to sit back and watch. Now, I have some incredible news right now that I'm about to tell you. That when the Spirit comes at salvation and indwells us, we're not bench people anymore. We're not separated people. We are engaged people. We are alive people. What was dead on the inside now has come to life. What was all darkness, now light is there. What was full of sin now has the opportunity through the Spirit's work to bring freedom to our lives. Our position changes. Listen how significant this is. And again, I I want you to note, he's telling this to the 11 who don't understand why Jesus has to go away. And he's telling them, it's good that I go away. If I don't go away, what I'm about to tell you is not going to happen and take place in your life. If I just remain here, you'll have to walk around with me. And if you want to see God, you'll just have to look at me. But if I go away, you will see me through eyes of faith. But not only that, the promise of the Father is going to come and He's going to live inside your life. He's the paraclete. He's the one who comes alongside you to empower you, to comfort you, to walk with you. And so watch what Jesus says here. Jesus says, listen, men, I am in the Father. And on that day, you are going to be in me. And I am going to be in you. Listen to that again. I am in the Father. On that day, you will know this, that I am in the Father, and you'll know this, that now you, at salvation, at Pentecost, you will know that you are in me, and then I want you to know this, that I am also going to be in you. And some of you may be saying, wait a minute, I I thought the Holy Spirit lived inside of us. Yeah? Guess who also lives inside of you? Jesus does. He says here, and I, I will be in you. We have to be careful to not divide the Trinity so much. Three persons, watch, one God. One God. What an incredible, glorious reality to embrace this morning. Who lives inside of us? The one God does. And all of the promises of the Father Paul says in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, one of the Corinthians, they are yes and amen in Jesus. All of them. But how do we maintain this relationship? How does it stay alive? I know you're not going to believe this, but we're going to talk about six things and it's not going to take long. Look at the next verse. 21. Here's the blessing of knowing the keys to an ongoing faith. How do, we, how do we keep this active relationship? 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Not only is it amazing that God resides in us, and that the Spirit has been deposited in us, guaranteeing our future salvation, we also have this great opportunity now to love God, as God has so loved you and I. So this union of Jesus being in the Father, and He being in us, and we being in Him, marks our lives with some really, really important things to understand. And and I would remind us this morning that we did not initiate this relationship. We did not do that. God is always the great initiator of this relationship. He is not waiting for us to start this. And then we respond in loving kindness. or, or, Or He responds in loving kindness. He initiates. We are changed. And we are respond by the incredible grace that has come to us. Romans 3.11 says, There is no one, no one who understands or seeks God. So we didn't begin this relationship. 1 John 4.19 tells us that, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. So He loved us first, and then we respond when he opens our eyes and God showed his love by the way first Romans 5 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this that when we were sinners what did Christ do he died for us he initiates this and so for the rest of our days what should our life be marked by Jesus summarizes the gospel life here So we're going to quickly go through these. The gospel life is marked by having the commandments of God. This word has the commandments here doesn't mean that you have a Bible app that has a Bible. It doesn't mean that you have a printed version of the Bible. That's not what has the commandments. It means having a working grasp of the commandments to understand the principles and the things that are there that we are to follow. So those who know Him now respond knowing this, that we've been given the commandments. And so because I've been given the commandments, I now want to value those commandments. Those commandments are to have us, and we are to have them. They are to mark our lives. And so Jesus communicates there, whoever has my commandments, those who love Him have His commandments. And we have been given everything that we need through these great precious promises, Peter says, that have been given to us. And through the promises, Peter says, listen to what he says here. He says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. In other words, the word. So that through the promises, through the word, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We can experience God. How? By the promises that we have been given by embracing them and knowing them and having them and understanding what they teach. Not only that, but secondly, we keep them. Not only do we have them, but we keep them. We obediently walk in the commandments. We're not just to have a possession of them. We're not just to know facts. We're not just to know the principles. We are to live the principles. They must dominate our lives for us to live God's will then we need also the spirit to be at work enabling us to walk out those commandments so we are to keep the commandments and by the way the commandments are incredible treasure 
They are incredible treasure. We are not to discard them or let them slip by the wayside. If we know the commands, they are to be lived, to be kept, not on a page, but implemented in our lives, placed in the spiritual engine to move us deeper in our knowledge of Christ. You look around at our world today, what's the problem with our world today? Let's just talk about our culture, our American culture. What's the big issue with our, our culture? One is this, is the culture has no knowledge of God. Jesus spoke about that last week in John 14, 17. The world just has no idea about who God is. So again, the world acts the way it does. It makes laws the way it does. It implements things the way that it does. It does this, it says this. It, it, it turns things upside down. Why? Because it doesn't know the Lord. And the other issue that's an issue in our culture today is that at times God's people have been people who fulfill Luke 6, 46 that says this, where Jesus says, why are you calling me Lord, Lord, and you have no interest in doing what I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? In a culture that has no idea about who God is and that God's people would say, well, no, I just can kind of live my own truth. I can do my own thing. No, it's not true. If you love God, you keep his commandments. Not my words, Jesus' words. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, here's the third thing. We reveal when we have the working knowledge of the words and we live them out, we communicate to Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I love that you're speaking. I love that you have taught me. So he says that he it is who keeps my words. That's the person who loves me. This is why our world doesn't get us, doesn't understand us. It mocks us because it doesn't understand that we are people who love Jesus. And we love Jesus by making much of living out his words. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls my life. It is this controlling nature. Because I have come to this conclusion, Paul says, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live, who come to faith, would no longer live for themselves, but they would live for him who for their sake died and was raised so i want this to fall heavy gently heavy in the room does that make sense i'm not trying to beat any of us on the head jesus says if you love me there's one evidence and it's not lifting your hands an emotional musical number It's on Monday at work when God's being mocked and you stand for God and you live out His commandments. That's how we give evidence that we are His and we value who He is and we value His commandments. Again, He simplified this. These are those that love me. They do my words. They live my words. And listen to this blessing. If we have his words, we live his words, thereby expressing we love Jesus. You know what the Father does when he sees people who love Jesus? Jesus says the Father loves you. 
Do you love my son? The father loves those who love the son. And that's what he says in 21. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. Now we don't earn, listen, we don't earn God's love by obedience. But real love is shown in our obedience. We're not earning it. We're expressing how moved we are. And then not only does Jesus say, the Father's going to love you because you love me, but I'm going to love you because you love my word and you walk. And so he says that, and I will love him. Christianity, I just remind us this morning, is a relationship-based faith. It's a relationship on the inside. And Jesus loves our loving of him. And then watch this. This is so critical. It's in line with what he's been saying here. It's in line with the Great Commission. Look what he says here. And our lives will be marked by, if we live those five things, this is what Jesus says he will do, and I will manifest myself to those people. I will show myself to those people in their sanctification. To manifest means to to make something known or make someone known that it be seen and understood and And it would be a part of our life. And so, listen to what Christ says He will do. If you have my commandments, if you have a working knowledge of what my commandments are, and you keep them, you live them, I want you to know this. That's the person that loves me. And my Father loves people who love my word and who love me. And I love those who love me and love my word. And in those people's lives, listen to what Jesus says, I will Reveal myself to them. You probably have met somebody like this. You've met somebody who's maybe not highly educated. They've been a Christian for most of their life. I'm particularly talking about older people. And they don't read the new blogs or vlogs. They don't listen to these podcasts or that podcast. But if you talk to that person, they know God. They know Him. You know why they know Him? Because for decades and decades of their lives, they loved the Word of Jesus. They applied it to their life. And He told them, I love you. And for those who who live this way, I make myself known to them. And I love talking to some of these people who have walked with the Lord for so long. They have insight that you don't get at seminary. The kind of insight that helps you at 3 a.m. when life has fallen apart. Because they've learned that God's real in those moments. And He's real in those moments. Why? Because He lives. And because he lives, they live. And they value his words. And he has transformed them from one degree of glory to another. And there are people who know the depth of God because they lived it. That's the kind of knowledge that every one of us in the room needs. The living out kind of knowledge. God values his people gathering on Sunday morning gathering and worshiping him and listening and submitting ourselves to what he wants to say to us as the church walks through the scripture so we got golly 
never have enough time. Okay, so let's, we got to deal with Thaddeus. Likely this is Thaddeus, and he's like, question, question. Why are you just going to reveal yourself to us? What, um, shouldn't, you, shouldn't you reveal yourself to the whole world? You just said the world's not going to see you anymore, but you're going to see me. Shouldn't, shouldn't you reveal this to the world? And so Jesus answers his question and said, yeah, I am going to reveal myself to the world. You know how he's going to reveal himself to the world? Through you and me. That's what he says here. So he answers, you may think, well, that's what a strange answer Jesus says there. He gives the same answer he's been giving. You're going to go to the nations. You're going to go to your neighborhood. You're going to go to your next door neighbor. You're going to go to your work, and you're going to love me and walk in my commandments. And when you do that, you will reveal to the world that you love me. And look what he says there. He says, this is how Jesus answered. Why are you just going to show yourself to us? Why not the world? He says, listen, if anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word. And so wherever you go, you'll be keeping my word. And my Father's going to love him. You're gonna, my Father's going to be a part of that life. And look what he says there. And we will come to him and make our home with him. How awesome is that? So early in John chapter 14, remember this. Jesus said, I'm going to go away. Your hearts are troubled about this. I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you with me. But until I come back to take you with me where I am, you're going to live here. And as you seek me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come to your life. At my house, it's here at 6374 County Road 161. I spent a lot of my life here. A lot of my life is spent at 1716 Stapleton Drive, McKinney, Texas, 75071. And there's a Toyota Tundra out there that I spend time in as well. And wherever I go, you know what God does? He comes to where I am and he makes his home. <laughs> Listen to that. In my heart. That's what Jesus says there. And in your heart. Some of you so powerfully experienced Jesus in the early morning hours in the dark at your kitchen table. And he makes his home in your heart as you love him and value him and worship him. So he just repeats the same thing. This is the gospel thing. Go to the nations. Love me before the people. Live out my words. Teach my words to the people. And my Father honors that. I honor that. And I will make myself manifest to you. Lastly, there's the blessing that the Holy Spirit affirms the words of the Father. And it's in verse 24. Whoever does not love me is a natural thing. They do not keep my words. And that rejection is really strong. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. If we want to know God in a personal, intimate relationship, then love the Son. Do we want to make, see God make His home with us? Then love the Son. How do we best love the Son? We keep His Word. And we have a working knowledge of His Word. A story is told of a wealthy man who had lost his wife when their only child was very young. So he hired a housekeeper to take care of the boy. 
who himself had only lived into his teens. Heartbroken from the second loss, the father died a short time later. No will could be found, and since there were no relatives, it looked as if the state would get the fortune of the wealthy man. So one day they decided they would have an auction, and so the man's personal belongings, including his mansion, were put up for sale. The old housekeeper, who had very little money, was there, but there was only one thing that she wanted. It was a picture that hung on the wall in the house. It was a photo of the boy whom she loved and nurtured from the time he was young until he passed from this life. And so when the items were sold and nobody else wanted the picture, she bought the picture for just pennies on the dollar. Taking it home, she began to clean it. She kind of took it off. It, it had been old. It had been up there. And she polished the glass. And when she took it apart, a piece of paper fell out from the picture. It was actually the man's will. And in the will, it stated that all of his wealth should go to the one who loved his son enough to buy the picture. And I want to remind everybody in the room this morning, if you get the son, you get everything. You get everything. You get all that comes to us by the precious promises from God. So feel the significance of this. What is Christ saying? He's saying to 11 men who were not perfect. Anybody perfect this morning in the room? Saying to 11 men, this is what we are going to do in your life when you agree to walk and value the things of God. And some of these things we will do before you can even offer anything. We will love you. We will initiate this relationship. But once you have come to know this relationship, your response now is to live passionately by embracing and loving God in the Scriptures. I love this book. Some of y'all are sinners and you write in your Bible. Shame on you. I'm just kidding. It's okay to write in your Bible. I can't. I just, I can't do it. But I've had this Bible for several years and I can't tell you how much this, this copy of the Bible means to me. But ultimately it means nothing in my life if I don't live it out. They're just words on a page. And yes, the scripture's living and active. It pierces to the deepest part of us. And it's what we need. And what we need is to know the principles and to live them. Right? That's what we must do. Let's pray.